everybody, you're listening to the Seven Point Highlander cast, the magic podcast dedicated to the Australian Highlander format, Seven Point Highlander. I'm your first host, Millie, and joining me on the line is Sav. Hello, everyone. And Vance. Hello. And today's episode, we're going to be talking about the cards of Guilds of Ravnica. Now, I will give a small disclosure that we're recording not quite before the end of spoilers. There's probably about another 50 or so cards to reveal, most of which are commons. Um, so we're not, we don't feel like we're missing out on much, but there might be like one or two very late surprise blowout rares that we didn't get to. So if that happens, I'm sure you'll all tell us about it very quickly. But for now, we've made a short list of what cards we think there are. Um, there are worth talking about that might have an impact in the format. But before we get into that, let's get into our usual starting segment, What's the Point? Today, we're talking about Protean Hulk. That is a two-point card. So Protean Hulk, it's five green-green for a 6-6, six, six, which at this point you're like, well, why on earth would that be worth points? And then its text is, when it dies, fetch any number of creatures with a total converted mana cost of six or less. Seems pretty good. Which, as it turns out, is essentially the same text as win the game if you can get it to die. So Protean Hulk is points because of the interaction between it and Flash, the infamous Flash Hulk deck. So Flash is a card from, I should have looked this up, Mirage Era. Uh, Visions or something like that. Yeah, yeah, one of those, Uh, that Which is blue and one. Uh, It gives a creature in your hand, well, Flash, but you've got to pay mana or sacrifice it. And with Hulk, you're just like, I would not like to pay that mana. Oh no, it dies. I guess I can get my six. Yeah, why did I do this? (laughs) And I think we discussed Hulk when we put it to two, because that was not that long ago. Hulk has been one point, it's been two points, it's been three points, and it's been four points. It's at two at the moment, which we're more or less okay with. Uh, It's the sort of deck that can be quite oppressive because it can be quite difficult for some decks to interact with it. There was a period where Flash Hulk was soft banned because Hulk and Flash were both four points. Oh, wow. (laughs) Because the metagame in Melbourne particularly was having just so much difficulty adapting to the deck. Was it because of a particular person? There was a couple of people. I think Isaac was one of the people playing it. Yes, Mulch yep. might also have been. Uh, there right. was troublemaking committee members. And there was a couple <laughs> of other people who played it. But it was, oh, it was, just, it was just killing the uh, Melbourne Highlander scene. Because people were just like, well, it's just, I can't play anything fun and possibly beat Flash Hulk. So just a bit more explanation about how you kill someone when your Flash Hulk's dead. There's a bunch of possible packages you can have in your deck. And you're looking for something that's got a combination of durability, so, you know, it's hard for your opponent to disrupt once you've gone off, and compactness, which is, you know, it doesn't take up too much space. One option is something like Mog Bombers and 7 plus 0 drops. So Mog Bombers, when it comes into, uh, whenever another creature comes into play, you sack Mog Bombers and your opponent takes 3. And because they all come into play at once, you just get a pile of triggers and it's very hard for your opponent to stop themselves from dying. Another popular one is Karmic Guide, uh, one mana sack outlet. So Karmic Guide, when it comes into play, brings a creature back from the dead. So you bring back Protean Hulk, you sack it to your Viscera Seer, then you go fetch Kiki-Jiki, make a copy of Karmic Guide. While that's on the stack, you sacrifice Kiki-Jiki, the new Karmic Guide brings it back and then you've got endless... 2-2 two, two flyers with haste and protection from black. Huh. Yeah. Cool. <laughs> I didn't know about that one. That's cool. Mm. Seems a I little like... um, clunky, but otherwise pretty yeah. good. Yeah. If your opponent has graveyard hate, it's not... And there's a bunch of others. So you can cephalid breakfast combo. So cephalid illusionist and nomad's end core. And then basically anything and dread return. Um, there's a bunch of variations of that that, that kill people. And then there's endless more. Um, I spoke to one of the Canberra players, uh, Jacob who sent me a pile of variants, so I just thought I'd mention these three. But fundamentally, if you can work out how to get Protean Hulk dead, you, the rest of your deck should find some way to kill. 
So what was your question, Millie? I was just going to ask why it was pointed at two rather than at one. Like, is I I haven't come across a Protean Hulk deck while I've been playing. Not that I've been playing too long. Up until I think it was earlier this year, maybe mm. late last year, last Flash year. and Hulk were one point each. Um, and we decided we'd take one of them off the list and put the point, both the points on the other one. So that was on Protean Hulk. It's still a really good deck. So it's it's nowhere near as oppressive as it used to be because the quality of Graveyard Hate is wildly better than in its heyday. Um, you know, you've got Scavenging Ooze, Deathrite Shaman, various other pieces of entirely main deckable hate that mm-hmm. shut down various versions of the combo. It's at two points because it is still a really good like, it's not a deck that a lot of people play, but when people do play it, it's easy to... Like, it's it's still very powerful. It's still easy to build it in a way that is extremely unenjoyable for particularly newer players sitting opposite you because you're just sort of faddling about with your deck and they're like, I'm apparently dead, but I don't know what's happened. Um, and it recently also got kind of pseudo two points in the fact that worldly tutor was depointed yeah and Spellseeker is this card that's on the watch list because we know it's powerful but in that deck flash. finding flash is really mm. cool so it, it it's quite powerful it's a powerful deck at the moment all right and that's the point of protein hulk thanks for the explanation boys so we're going to get straight into our short list of Cards that we think are, may have an impact on Highlander from Guilds of Ravnica, the set that's coming out very, very soon, start of October. And I think we're just going to get straight into talking about the cards. So, Sav, do you want to read us our first one? All right. Well, I will read out the first one, and it all relates to your mission, if you choose to accept it, is a briefing that costs two blue mana at instant speed, in which you get to surveil two then choose an instant or sorcery card in your graveyard. You may cast that card this turn, and if that card would be put into your graveyard this turn, then exile it instead. So Surveil 2 is the new mechanic that is basically like Scry, but instead of putting cards you don't want on the bottom of your library, you just dump them in your graveyard. So when you cast this card, it'll expand your graveyard a little bit if you just want to dump both of those cards in the yard, and then you can pick a card to cast. So it's a bit different to Snapcaster Mage, and its similarity to Snapcaster Mage is really what's getting all of our attention on it, wouldn't you say? There's certain decks where that 2-1 is really, really important, like tempo decks, like you said. But there's also times where it's not as important, like, you know, Storm is pretty keen to have that Surveil 2. But sometimes you want that 2-1 just to block. And, and at the moment, I'd be interested to see how many decks adopt this as a zero-point Snapcaster Mage. De- decks that just don't want it, like a tempo deck. Yeah. yeah, I'd be surprised by what decks don't want it. But as you say, missing mm, missing the body mm. is obviously a pretty big downside for those sorts of decks. There I are some the blue, subtler blue differences between this and Snapcaster Mage that may impact that decision-making, though. The first one is that it doesn't target a spell. So when Snapcaster enters the battlefield... Uh, its trigger will target a spell in your graveyard to give it flashback. So in response, sometimes your opponent might um, have some sort of way to exile a particular card from your graveyard or something like that. This doesn't actually target, so is when it resolves is when you get to choose what spell you want. Mm. So you kind of get to hold your information a bit closer to your chest like that, which is very Demir. Um, and the other thing is that it lets you cast the spell rather than giving it flashback. Flashback mechanically means that you can't do alternative costs. You can do additional costs, but um, if if a spell has an alternative cost, you don't get that option. You just have to pay what it says up the top. This doesn't have that restriction. So um, 
You can definitely mission briefing a gush and put some lands back in your hands to draw mm. some cards. You can uh, cast a force of will by exiling a blue card and paying life. And um, I'm sure there's a bunch of other cards out there that I can think of that have alternative costs that mission briefing will let you cast your cards with, which is a very mechanically notable difference. I really like that gush interaction. And, you know, anytime you have Dak Faden in a deck, and you have some kind of combo with Dak Faden, like Gush plus Dak Faden is great in Vintage, and it's also great in Tempo-ish decks in in Highlander. This could be a nice addition to any deck that's any deck that's playing Dak. There's actually one other very mostly irrelevant difference, but could come up with a card that has flashback. That card is getting exiled, and the game doesn't care how you try and avoid it. It's exiled. With this, if you've got say a card with buyback in your graveyard, it ends up in your hand. Oh, uh, yeah, you can totally exit. buy back cards. Can you remind your own spell too? Yeah, yes. you can remind your spell back to your oh, hand if yes. you decide you want to do that. Uh, I love you can, this. in the unlikely event, you can uh, use this on a time walk when you've got your Narset out and give the time walk a rebound, <laughs> and then it'll happen again next turn, which it doesn't with flashback. I mean, you're probably already winning by the time yeah. you're on your like second time walk turn, but you know, you've got to have the rubbings. <laughs> yeah, the other. The other uh, thing that we were thinking about with this card is that it is double blue. Yeah. Good point. It's That's significantly trickier, considering that you're then going to have to cast another card, like another yeah. card's mana cost. One blue versus blue blue. Pretty different. It, isn't it funny how in Highlander, blue blue is harder to cast than, say, red blue or white blue or oh, black yeah. blue? <laughs> yeah. It is a significant difference uh, for, like... If you've got a counterspell or a mana drain in your graveyard, having to have four blue instead of three is a big game. That's so much blue. Mm. Especially if you've been like playing around Blood Moon or something earlier in the yeah. game and you're mm. like, oh, yeah. I've just been getting my basics. Even if it's just uh, something like a mana leak in your graveyard, you've gone from two blue and two to three blue and one, which again is a non-trivial uh, difference. Oh man, I want I want to use this to flash back a cryptic command. I know it's so much blue mana. But... <laughs> so good. <laughs> you thought uh, Trench of Gearhawk was hard to cast. How about, yeah, such a plain how about six mana, five of which is blue? Yeah, <laughs> I hope you're playing mono blue there. Doesn't even give me a five six. Oh well. The other thing we should discuss about this, as we've been talking about its uh, comparison to Snapcaster, is that Snapcaster made use a point. At this stage, Remains we're, recording, to be seen. we're recording two weeks out from pointing, but at this stage, I would suggest this probably won't be a point initially. Maybe It'll I'll have to delete this statement. Reaction. Who knows? There's actually only been, as far as anyone can remember, there's only been one time ever that a card was pointed before it was legal uh, in the format. Now, Saab already knows this answer if he was paying Here attention earlier. Did, yep. <laughs> did, did you see this, Millie? I, I don't know. I'm waiting. What is it? Uh, do you want to have a guess? <laughs> At a card that came out and it was, was pointed before it came out. Before it came out. What was it? All right. Give, give me like a pre-original from... Ra- Ravnica block, post-original Ravnica block. Uh, post. Af- after original <laughs> Ravnica and also think about something new and scary, basically. Something new and scary. Treasure yeah. Cruise? No, it was Liliana Vess. <laughs> Liliana Vess? Yeah. yeah. Oh, it's a planeswalker. Really wow, scary. Talk about hard when, to when the lists was This is when the lists were split and, you know, planeswalkers were coming out and the Melbourne 
list, well, Isaac running the Melbourne list was like, I don't really know how strong these cards are, but this one tutors, I don't know, I'm just going to give it a point just in case. But that's the only time anyone's been able to remember. I'm not sure it's possible it also might have happened when Memory Jar was printed. Memory but... Jar was going to be my first guess, but then I was like, mm. oh, I'm not sure like how good we were at pointing. Yeah. Mm. Um, but yeah, so preemptive pointings are pretty rare. This, I would not be at all surprised if six months from now it was a point. Well, I don't but, know, according, like, mm. based on the precedent that we've got, I'd say that Mission Briefing is much better than Liliana Vess, so <laughs> I think we should take that straight that to the rest of the committee. That is definitely true. We, we should probably point about half the set. Yeah. <laughs> <Excellent>. Anyway. <laughs> All right. Um, so, Shall looking I give at us the next card? one. <laughs> All right. Let's, let's chat about a new card that's maybe less controversial than Liliana Vess. So let's go to Goblin Crater Maker. So Goblin Crater Maker is something that might see a splash in Legacy. So let's look at it in the context of Highlander. It's a red creature, Goblin Warrior, that is one colourless and one red for a 2-2. It has one, comma, sacrifice Goblin Crater Maker, colon, choose one. Either deal two damage to target creature or destroy target Emrakul. I mean, colorless non-land. I love that this thing can blow up Emrakul. And Ugin, so crater, like, just get Emrakul out of here. Okay. Who, who would win? Emrakul or a goblin and a cat? <laughs> yep, I love the art. I love the cat. It's so cute. This card's really, it's going to be a strong role player. So we've talked before about, for a card to be good enough in Highlander, it needs to feel sort of one of two kinds of roles. Wow, well, there's probably more, but anyway, for, in fair deck, it needs to either be individually powerful, so you're thinking something like Tamagoyf or Tassiga, or it needs to have a lot of utility. And this card is definitely in, in the latter camp. Like, two mana, two twos, well below the curve of how strong you want creatures to be in an aggressive deck. But killing another two-power creature, that's pretty good. Um, just killing any two-power creature. Two-toughness creature. A two-toughness creature. Pff, power. Well, they've mostly got two power. Anyway, yes, two-toughness <laughs> definitely is yes. what I mean. But destroy target colorless non-land permanent is great. Like hits so many relevant things. Yeah, get out of here, GT. That's right. There's already a yeah. bunch of artifact removal that aggressive decks want to play in the form of things like Quasali Pride Mage or Tin Street Hooligan or you know various Braid. But this also, it's not going to happen very often. But when your opponent is trying to combo off and their kill is Emrakul and they realize that this little idiot is going to stop them, it would just be <laughs> so glorious. Good. It's actually quite similar in a lot of ways to a braid. So it's not quite as good at killing creatures. It's slightly better at killing colorless things. But it's a 2-2 into the bargain. Like, it's probably not as good as a braid, but it's, it's not as much worse as you want to think. Um, so I'll definitely be trying this crazy little gobbo out. Oh, and it's a okay. warrior, which is a relevant creature type. Oh, yeah, that's, that's true. true. <laughs> Majila definitely were, cares about that. If you were thinking about how a Knight Over Six is your, your control mirror breaker, you know, this little package that hurts other control decks in the control mirror. I think Goblin Crater Maker is the Annihilator Six mirror breaker. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> the new tech. I have conjured the most powerful magics and summoned the greatest creature of our crap. <laughs> So what's, like, we reckon it'll fit into zoo decks. Basically, any fair deck that's running red will be interesting. I don't, know. I don't know if you'll main deck it in zoo. I'd probably try it out. But yeah, something like zoo, red, black are both decks that are going to strongly consider it. Some of the red X Planeswalker decks that have been getting play recently oh, yeah, are probably keen on this great. guy, at least in the sideboard. There are metagames where some control decks might side this in. Probably not many, but could happen. A few, but... 
Yeah. The flexibility is huge, right? And and when you look at the precedent with Legacy porting over to Highlander, you look at all of these cards in Legacy sideboards, like Vendillion Click's a great example. It pops up in Tempo sideboards in Legacy, but in Highlander, that sideboard card from Legacy is actually an absolute main deck uh, staple. And, you know, can Goblin Crater make a fit into that role where it's a sideboard card for niche scenarios in Legacy, niche but powerful scenarios in Legacy? And then in Highlander, maybe it's so flexible, its flexibility makes it into the main deck. I don't know. It's, it's going to be exciting to see. Excellent. Um, the next card is Risk Factor. So I'll read this one out. It's two and a red for an instant. Target opponent may have Risk Factor deal four damage to them. If that player doesn't, you draw three cards with Jumpstart, which is you can cast this card from your graveyard by discarding a card in addition to paying its other costs. Then you exile it. We've yeah, seen Risk Factor is pretty cool. Yeah, so it's uh, it's Browbeat, and we know that Browbeat is not playable, or at least when people play it, it's wrong. The difference here is it deals one less damage to them, so, you know, neither here nor there. But instant speed, when you've got this Punisher mechanic, they're usually bad, but the fact that this is instant speed and you can go end of their turn risk factor, they go, yeah, I'll just pay four damage, I'll t- take four damage, no problem, I don't want you drawing three cards, because uh, they can choose what's appropriate for the situation. And then, But they know you're about to untap, and you draw a land, you discard the land to jumpstart it, and they go wait, I have to take four damage again, or I have to let you draw three cards. Making that decision a little bit harder might be relevant. So it has potential, I think. I think it's probably not good enough. People do occasionally play Browbeat in mono red, and I think they're wrong, but not as wrong as in most decks. Mm. I think this could easily be playable in mono red or very close to playable. I don't think it's going to rock the format or anything, but it could be a role player. Have we had a burn deck in Highlander yet? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, mono red, lotus, ruby, burn with wheel of fortune at zero. It's yeah. real. This seems like it would be worth consideration for that sort of build. Yeah, yep. yeah, and definitely. I think it's, I think it's worth. Even in a deck like Zoo, it's the sort of card that I kind of need to get my hands on and play with a little bit or test with a little bit before I'm sure it's wrong. Like I'm, mm. I'm almost sure. But the jump start and being an instant does add a lot of yes. potential. All right, what's next? Uh, next up, we have Amara. Amara was the promo card at the game days or champion days, whatever you call them, and it is. Amara, Soul of the Accord, green-white, so two casting cost for a 2-2, Elf Cleric, and when Amara, Soul of the Accord becomes tapped, create a 1-1 white soldier creature token with life. So this is another card that I think is very nearly good in a variety of decks. Like, very nearly very good. It has potential to form its own combo deck if you can find some way to tap it and untap it. So, like, with um, Intruder Alarm and some way to tap it the fir- and some way to tap it, it just produces endless creatures. In an aggressive deck, a 2-2 that generates an extra 1-1 or 2, which have lifelink, is worth looking at. Um, in something like Green White Hate Bears, it's probably just straight in the deck. Being able to to, to spit out little one ones with lifelink is pretty powerful if you can get it going. The drawback, of course, is that uh, she's a two two and is very likely to just get blocked and eat, and then you've just got one lonely little soldier uh, hanging around. I would question why your elf cleric is producing non elf soldiers, but that's storyline. I don't know. Anyone can join the conclave. 
I guess. Ah, uh, yeah, that's true. <laughs> yeah, she seems like she'd be a really bad draw when you're going up against another creature deck, but if you're going up against anything that's low on the creature count, you're going to be able to swing in pr- with a 2-2 pretty easily. And you don't really want to... You're like, oh, it's just a 2-2. I'd rather remove the Tarmogoyf that's sitting over there, but every time mm. it does attack me, you get another creature, and that's going to tax yeah. my spot removal, that sort of thing. So might be good enough, but I'm not going to lie, I'm not too scared of seeing it on the other side. <laughs> Look, that's fair. <laughs> and against the very aggressive decks that aren't Naya Zoo, two, toughness, uh, two power slash two toughness is... Not that uncommon, so she'll often at least trade with something and leave your body. Well, shall we talk about the other white-green card that this set has for us? Mm. Oh, yeah. So this is Knight of Autumn. It is one green white for a creature, Dryad Knight. It is a 2-1. So three mana for a 2-1 isn't great, isn't a great rate, but her ability. When Knight of Autumn enters the battlefield, choose one. You can either put two plus one plus one counters on her, or you can destroy target artifact or enchantment. Or you can gain four life. <laughs> How's that for a utility creature? Oh, so good. I'm so excited about this card. When this was spoiled, I just immediately started digging out my old uh, three-color, four-color, temp- uh, not tempo, uh, mid-range and mid-range control decks and went, wow, yeah, look, white's back on the menu, boys. Here we go. Let's, <laughs> let's go back into the, rather than the, you know, non-o-white greed creep decks, we're going to go to, you know, greed creep outside of, uh, you know, Colligan's command. Let's see if this is possible. <laughs> and Knight <laughs> uh, of Autumn, the, the baseline comparison is obviously Reclamation Sage. Reclamation Sage is quite literally the single middle dot point of this card and the slightly easier to cast mana cost of not using a white mana. Now, Reclamation Sage has bounced in and out of main decks for uh, probably the history of history of Highlander, right? When it came out, people started slamming it into main decks, wanting to birthing pot it away up your bo- uh, up your pod chain, wanting to Restoration Angel blink it, and it then ended up starting to go into sideboards because the flexibility just wasn't there. Because sometimes you draw this, you know, three mana two one with no targets on the battlefield, and you have to make this decision to go. Okay, I'll play my three mana two one and start attacking with it, and then they play the Umazawa's Jitter, and you just go, "Why did I do that? That's horrible." But Knight of Autumn addresses every concern I have ever had with Reclamation Sage, and it satisfies that uh, all all the desires I wanted when I want to go. Should I main deck Kitchen Finks? Oh nah, you know I'm just going to bring it in from the aggro matchups. Hey, wait, I've got Knight of Autumn. Should I main deck Reclamation Sage? Oh nah, it's a little bit clunky when they don't have artifacts facts or enchantments well i've got knight of autumn and last of all you know does my deck just want sometimes the backup plan tarmogoyf you know where you just want a no tech high power creature that's at a lowish mana cost knight of autumn plays that role too where you know not quite as good as tarmogoyf obviously but a 4-3 in the early game when you have no targets or no aggressive decks to gain life against i think this card is awesome oh yeah it's actually kind of hard to believe that it has so many lines of text there is one downside to it and Uh, there is a highlander deck that will care about it and that's that she's not an elf it's true dryad Um, oh yeah i haven't noticed that Dryad, like that's specific it's dried riding a horse which is a bit weird the elves highlander deck might care a little bit about that but in the long run it's still going to be better than reclamation sage for pretty much 
seventy percent of decks that would consider running mm. a reclamation sage. Yeah, and elves okay. likes that. Un- maybe you know, return it back to your hand because it's an elf creature, and then replay it or tap tap it with you know tap target elf you control and etc cetera, etc. Cetera. You know, there's there's probably situations where they do want to keep Rex Sage. The other situation where you do want Rex Sage is if you're extremely soft to Blood Moon and Back to Basics, and or Blood Moon specifically, not Back to Basics. You, you just get wrecked anyway if you're three four color. Um, but the Rex Sage is a single green mana, and when you're under a Blood Moon and you've got a single Lanoir Elves out, that is so important to just play your Rex Sage, destroy the Blood Moon, and get back into the game. So green white does make this worse against your kind of bad matchup of Blood Moon effects. But I think the upside of it being so flexible is still going to see it see play over Rex Age. Oh, 100%. Elves is mostly elves in name only these days, uh, or the, the version that gets played in Highlander. I don't think it's playing many cards that particularly care about whether or not something's an elf. But on this card, like, it's going to see so much play. Like, even in Zoo, at the moment I've got a Kitchen Finks on my sideboard, and this is probably just better most of the time. Like, you don't get to block twice, but it's against the decks, the, the non-red aggressive decks in particular, where they've got Skull Clamp and Batter Skull and Umazawa's Jit. If they're beating you up, you can gain four life. If nothing's happening, you can have a beater. But most importantly, it kills their equipment or whatever. It's just so gloriously flexible. I totally agree. If I can make one last point before we move on to our next card. the knight, This knight is uh, uh, a kind of a a breath of fresh air in a meta that is dominated by Colligan's Command and Mono Greed Creep, where we're looking at these four-color mid-range decks that don't run white, because white is outdated. White white yeah. getting Stoneforge Mystic and the equipment package is often just worse than running Colligan's Command or Kess or one of these grindy, powerful, uh, you know, black-red cards. And when this card was printed... The moment I read it, I went, wow, there's there's a reason for me to maybe possibly not want to be in red for Colligan's Command uh, or not want to be in black for Colligan's Command. Uh, maybe I want to try this out. And, and I've been brewing with it, and it's it's a nice breath of, breath of fresh air to be able to brew with uh, white. And this is literally one of the draw cards for me to play white. And just if I can just add one last thing as well, another deck, which might be the deck you're talking about, that this breathes new life into his Dark Band, which was really struggling because the Kespile style decks were just better choices if you wanted to do all the greed in the world. Whereas with this and Assassin's Trophy, which we talked about last time, yeah, you just don't need the red as much as you did, which is great. Uh, mm. Adds a lot more flexibility, should be glorious for people to brew with. Shall We're, I move on to our next got one card? one more card here. After oh, our right. Night of Autumn Excitement. Yeah. <laughs> that, that was pretty, pretty much the headline. Of, should we call that the name of the episode, Night of, <laughs> of Autumn? Well, th- that and Mission Briefing, yeah. Mission Briefing. <laughs> All right. It's been a good day for Ben. Night of Briefing. Here we go. Last <laughs> card that we want to talk about uh, extensive-ishly is the new Vraska, Golgari Queen. So she is four mana. Two black and green, so obviously slotting into these decks that we've just been talking about. Four loyalty, plus two loyalty, you may sacrifice another permanent. If you do, you gain one life and draw a card. Minus three, uh, abrupt decay. I believe there's no change there. Mm -hmm. And minus nine, you get an emblem with win the game. Whenever a creature you control deals combat damage to a player, that player loses the game. Basically, you you win the game. 
Ultimate win the game, one of those. <laughs> the, the minus three is not quite abrupt decay because you can counter it with um, whatever counters activated abilities. Disallow. Oh, yes. Disallow. Nice. But it's very close. Having to sacrifice a permanent in order to draw a card with a plus is pretty awkward, but it does ticker up to six, which is a fairly beefy mm. amount of loyalty there and is enough to let her abrupt decay things twice. This card's a bit... I can't quite see where it goes, but it feels like it's powerful. So if, if you're playing some kind of green-black deck that's got a lot of mana creatures or is producing tokens, the plus two is pretty close to free. Uh, draw a card and gain a life. Being able to destroy lots of little things is great. I mean, the ultimate wins the game, but, you know, they mostly do. Sacrificing things with a skull clamp equipped, obviously the, the <laughs> thing that you, you want to do. But oh. if you've got a skull clamp out and equipping something and it's lasted to the point where you're <laughs> sacrificing it to draw a card and you have a Vraska out, you probably don't need to worry about what you're sacrificing. I'm sacrificing my skull clamped creature to Vasca Golgari Crane might be the most Melbourne sentence I've ever heard. <laughs> <laughs> so oh, good, right? Sounds like I should build this deck. <laughs> <laughs> so she's, she's, I think, good but not great. Yeah, I mean, like, you can sacrifice land if you find that you're, like, you, you play, you've dropped four land, you play Vraska, you're looking at your hand and you're like, mm, still got a little land there, don't mind mm. sh- shipping one away to become another card, but, um, yeah, we'll, we'll yeah, see. I, I think it'll be a particular type of deck that can afford the sacrifice that will want her, but you can't deny the, the Abrupt Decay that's repeatable is very powerful. Alright, so we've also got some honourable mentions here, and we're just going to skim through these really quick because we think they could turn up in particular decks, but they're really, really borderline. Uh, I'll dig into the first one, which is uh, Legion Warboss. It's a goblin soldier. It's kind of like Goblin Rabble Master, except it's got Mentor, and it doesn't itself doesn't have to attack, and it doesn't get boosted every time, but it still makes a 1-1 goblin that is attacking this turn. I think it's one less damage or two less damage turn on turn compared to Rabble Master. If you're playing Rabble Master and you want a second one, they just printed it. Hooray. Hooray. Goblins gets another <laughs> thing, bringing it closer and closer to a little bit more power. Doom Whisperer is an enormous idiot with no drawbacks. Could be good. Boros Challenger is... Oh, it's not a warrior, it's a soldier. It's this back to this <laughs> thing when we can't quite tell just by glancing at it. Because honestly, glancing at the art, I would have gone, that's a knight. Like, yeah. I don't know. Yeah. yeah. They're all fighters. <laughs> not that all knights are on horses. It's a two mana, two, three with Mentor and some more text that's mostly irrelevant. It's okay. Mentor on a two power creature in Highlander is mostly not going to be very good because mm. most of your one drops also have two power. If not more. If not more. Hard to get more. But yeah, mostly. Glow Spore Shaman might go in the dredge deck that a couple of people have been trying to ratchet their way together would happen yeah it's possibly going to have some kind of land interaction maybe that you want to return yeah it's possible going to be a role player somewhere Uh, iron eyes is a three mana counter spell in is it colors that deals two damage to the spell's controller so i mean disallows being played in highlander with the ability to kind of stifle something so you just choose do you want to do two damage and stifle some uh, or stifle something and it's kind of comparable to the totally not being played undermine which deals Much easier damage, to cast. So, yeah, easy to cast, but yeah, probably not going to be played. I guess may as well mention also in Is It Colors is Raoul Is It Viceroy, and literally the only reason I think this this card is actually good 
is only in the blue-red control decks, where blue-red control has lots of problems with Siege Rhino and Tassiga, Corsa Crufix, all these things with more than three toughness, wherein uh, they often just play things like Roast, you know, bad cards solely because you need to actually deal with something you can't otherwise remove, and Rao's minus three is a better Roast, you know, exiling a creature. I can see it being played solely in blue-red. Once you get into a third colour, the other walkers are better. Thousand Year Storm is another one that a couple of people have mentioned it's quite similar to we wrote this down sentinel tower i think it is uh from battle bond like it's a six minor enchantment that gives all of your other instants and sorcery storm essentially so it's probably better in decks that aren't storm than in decks that are because in in storm specifically so for this to be really good you've got to cast sort of two or three rituals cast it and then be able to keep going off afterwards and if you can it's amazing but most of the time it requires saying go after doing that which is not something you want to be doing on the turn if you can just play it and untap with it yeah you gotta yeah. win the game but uh yeah that's right you gotta play it or, no or if you can design. yeah it's it's mind's desire but you don't get but you to gotta keep going cast the spells for free yeah. necessarily mind's desire yeah. you always get to try and keep going unless you hit all lands um exactly. whereas this like, if you cast four spells and this and then uh, Mana Morphos, you're going to have a great time. But <laughs> that's not going to happen that often. There's also Mausoleum Secrets, which is one and a black for an instant. It has a search your library for a black card with converted mana cost less than or equal to the number of creature cards in your graveyard. Reveal it, put it in your hand, shop in your library. Um, it's odd to have a cheap instant speed tutor that will hmm. tutor for anything that's black. However, yeah. like, it, it's a pretty serious restriction there that you've got to have some creatures in the yard because not always the cards that want to the decks that want to tutor things in particular black things are going to be playing lots of creatures but you never know like it's it's a tutor they're inherently powerful always fetches slaughter pact always fetches <laughs> nice. slaughter pact good point doomblade <laughs> lazav the multifarious who has just so much text it's the sort of card that could easily be the centerpiece of some creature combo deck but i couldn't tell you offhand what the deck was going to be. Yeah, I mean, he doesn't get into the battlefield effects, and that's just such a such a massive downside. The last group of cards I want to talk about is the hybrid split cards that are in the set, like Integrity slash Intervention. It's likely that none of these is quite good enough. The front halves are all a bit weak, and the back halves are all a bit expensive, but split cards are... Split cards where both halves have sort of relevant text, even if they're expensive, are kind of hard to evaluate because... What you're mostly paying for is the um, flexibility. So no, you don't want a red-white hybrid card that gives a creature plus two plus two, and no, you don't want to pay four mana for a War Leader's Helix that only deals three, but <laughs> four mana just for Lightning Helix, indeed. <laughs> but maybe there's some deck that's in the market for occasionally one of those things and occasionally the other. It's probably not, um, but you know they're worth keeping an eye on. There is a little bit of a color pie bend here, actually, like. Connive is one of these, like Connive Concoct. And Connive is two, either blue or black, either blue or black. Gain control of target creature with power two or less. I don't think black has ever had just straight up take a creature before. Yeah, they always uh, have downsides, don't they? Like lose life or... Yeah, Enslave you know, some, is the only one I can think of offhand. Mm. But that costs a million and makes you lose life. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's interesting. I don't yeah. think it's good enough for Highlander, but it's just a little... Hmm, let that one slip through. But yeah, yeah, I think that wraps it up for our honourable mentions. They might be role players, they might turn up, they might not. But um, 
Yeah, it's been an interesting set. I wasn't really sure how much Guilds of Ravnica would give us, but as mm. soon as you're playing with lots of gold cards, then they usually crank up the power a bit, and uh, they certainly have. So the other honourable mention that we should make is, for any newer players out there, get Shocklands. Shocklands oh, are great. Oh, yeah. This is going to be an opportunity mm. to pick them up for cheap. You'll probably be able to find opportunities if you particularly like the art of an older one to trade into those because some people will like the art of the newer ones because they're, you know, wrong <laughs> or have different opinions. I don't know, one of those two. I but, like the new border. So Some of the uh, new Shocklands are actually quite good. Who doesn't like a bit of aggressive hyperbole? <laughs> <laughs> that's but what yeah, magic's for. <laughs> that's right. Um, why else am I sitting here talking at a microphone for an hour? Where was I? Yeah. Shocklands are a really important card for a lot of Highlander decks that you should pick up. And the other thing, as Millie said, is gold sets tend to be slightly higher power level on average for their cost. And a card that costs a red and a white, once you've got a fetch jewel mana base, is as easy or easier to cast than one that costs double red or double white. So gold doesn't increase the difficulty of casting things by that much. You have to be wary of greed creep and blood boon, obviously, but yeah, there's a lot of power. If there are any in the last 60 or 70 cards or whatever it is that stand out, we'll mention them in the show notes or um, on the Facebook page. Yeah, it's been a fun set to review. I'm really excited to play it. Super stoked for uh, for pre-release. We even get a long weekend for it, so get to rest up on... Right. Well, at least I get a long weekend for it. It sucks to not have arbitrary nice. sport-related public <laughs> holidays, I guess. <laughs> Why is there no magic sport-related public holiday? It doesn't make any sense. Yeah, like, I, I'll, I'll have been uh, streaming Guilds of Ravnica for, like, a long day before that public holiday and before the set, the oh, pre-release sweet. set comes out. So uh, nice. I'm, I'm real glad for that. But I'm excited to pick up as many of these cards as possible because a lot of them, th- having those options, like having a toolbox of just fun utility cards, it's so easy to be like, oh, I don't know if Ionize will see play, but I'll just pick one up while I'm mm. while I'm here if it's not too expensive. And then you got it there yeah. if you want to have a little bit of a flutter with it. And with that, I think we'll wrap up the episode. So... This is when I realized that I didn't go and put the outro notes on it. I'm just going to go <laughs> find, a, find an episode <laughs> for the audience. that has it. Control, we put the notes at the end. All right. Okay. For those listening, okay. if this stayed in the, uh, in the show all the way to the end, uh, enjoy. This is, this is one of the most fun times that we have, which no, is when we realize we have no notes in front of us. Cut it out. <laughs> Edit it out, Vance. Uh, <laughs> right, something or other, maybe. Twitter. We are um, also on Discord and... <laughs> Right. No, uh, I've got it. I'm ready uh, for it. Fancy notions. That's Vance. Um, boxes for sale. <laughs> something or other. Nice Twitter. hash together outro. All right, here we go. Keep this in, Vance. All right, that's enough talking about the cards from Guilds of Ravnica. Thanks for joining us this episode. If you like us or want to follow us on Twitter or on Facebook, we're on Twitter at HighlanderCast or Facebook.com slash HighlanderCast. You can shoot us questions or feedback and we can answer you really directly there. Vance and I are personally on Twitter. I'm at Foxes for Sale and Vance is at Vance in Notions. If you really like what you hear, how about joining the show's Patreon? Uh, get priority on show topic suggestions. We'll do some giveaways in the future. I think we're going to start planning one of those again fairly soon. Um, we really appreciate everyone who helps us out and all the money that goes in we put into making the podcast better for you that's over at patreon.com slash highlandercast if you'd like to get more involved in the seven point highlander community go check out ozeternal.com or search up seven point highlander on facebook because there is a facebook group 
And if you like Discord, we also have an official Discord, so we'll chuck the link to that in the show notes. Thanks for listening, everyone, and good luck at your next Highlander tournament. Or at Guild's pre-release. I suppose that would have already happened. I hope it went well. (laughs) (laughs) Whatever it is, outro nailed. (laughs) (laughs) Bye! Bye, See you, everyone. everyone!